Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of the California Angels and the City of Los Angeles, on the occasion of Her Majesty's royal visit, please welcome internationally renowned opera star Enrico Palazzo. Yes, he's in the intensive care ward at Our Lady of the Worthless Miracle. Give me two. Palazzo Podcast, two L's, two Z's. We are live here on YouTube and Twitch and all the other places we send out our stream to, destination-wise, for the Prospects Power Hour. Of course, Robbie, baseball, and Big Gentle Ben are here, but we got a special guest today. This is a unique show for us, and my first time getting to chat with one of Baseball America's finest. He's a writer. He knows a thing or two about scouting, amateur scouting, international signees, minor leagues. He can do it all. He knows a lot about MLB draft stuff as well. There's nothing that Ben Battler cannot provide. Let's give it up. Ben Battler from Baseball America. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Welcome to the show live from Wayne Manor. I love the intro, man. I'm, I'm fired up. Thanks for having me on, guys. Oh, this is uh, Ben made it happen. So shout out to two, the two Bens. I don't think I've ever done a show with two Bens, Ben, have we? Is this our first secondary Ben? Or are you the secondary uh, Ben and he's the primary Ben? That's uh, there you go. There's a good question. You've got the Mike and Mike <laughs> thing going on. So now yeah, there we, go. So there yeah, we, we already done that. Yeah. That was not a good show. We don't like to be associated with that. Uh we try to avoid that show. But we're here live. So if you got questions, the pro the chat's open. So take advantage of the live chat while we're here and we'll try to answer your questions as best we can. Ben is a reasonable human being, from what I can tell, and I think he'll be happy to answer your questions today. Uh Ben. If somebody's never heard of you, if they're just tuning into the show and they're like, who are you? What's going on? How would you describe what you do for a living? Yeah, I started at Baseball America in 2007. So uh, what, that's like 16, 17 years now coming up on covering prospects, which uh, is kind of cool to say out loud, kind of scary to think how old I'm getting now. But, uh, but yeah, covering, like you said, covering minor league prospects, covering the draft, covering uh, the high school underclass prospects, international prospects, uh, pretty much like you said, a little bit of uh, a little bit of everything or everything prospects related for us. Yeah, uh, Ben Chase, I'm going to call you Benjamin and Ben will be Ben. Uh, Benjamin, what's the first time you met Ben, Benjamin? Well, I guess I've I've been following Ben's work for a long, long time. I, I guess um, I my curiosity for Ben would just be to what initially sparked the interest in international prospects. Was it just an assignment through BA or was it just, was it something you truly were really interested in? Yeah. When I, when I started at BA I was doing, you know, whatever they told me to do or whatever <laughs> needed to be done a little bit of everything. Um, but the, yeah, the international side started doing that in 2008 because you know, I looked around and I was like, you know, you know, we cover the draft like complete lunatics here at Baseball America. <laughs> to, it's an absurd amount of depth and detail down to all the late round picks and everything. Uh, but why don't we or why doesn't anybody else do the same thing for international signings? Right. Like there's so many international prospects throughout our handbook, obviously in the big leagues as well. Uh, it just seems like it's becoming a bigger, bigger part of the game. But mm -hmm. like, how does the signing process even work for players in the Dominican Republic and Venezuela? Uh, you know, at that time, we would have players sign and uh, might like occasionally preview a couple players before, you know, at that time, the signing date was July 2nd. But a lot of it was, oh, we just heard maybe shortly after, maybe months after the fact that, oh, this guy signed for uh, you know, a million dollars or 1.6 million. Uh, Jesus Montero, who's that? Like, uh, let's, <laughs> yeah. like let's call around and, and find out. 
Um, but nobody at that time was really covering international signings and, and previewing them in a big way the way we were doing in the draft. So I uh, just started making a lot of calls down to, you know, international scouting directors, international scouts, people uh, all across Latin America mm-hmm. to try to get more information uh, on these players before they signed. It's, you know, it's not the same as the draft. Uh, obviously, there's a lot more uh, games and detailed information on, especially the college players here in the States. It's a different world covering uh, Latin American prospects, but it's just kind of grown and grown uh, over the years. Uh, every year we do it, it gets a little bit bigger. We had, you know, 100 prospects previewed for January 15th this year. So uh, it's kind of mm-hmm. wild to look back at kind of what the process was like back in 2008, <laughs> uh, both for, for what we do at BA and just how how the players themselves were scouted at that time to the way it works right now. So do you really just contact people down there on like cold calling or did people give you leads on who to contact at like that across time, various countries? Yeah. You know, I, you know, I'd have some contacts with some people and then as, as, as you cover more and more of it and, and look like obviously working at baseball America is a big name to have uh, behind you. So, so when I'm calling somebody, Oh, I'm from baseball America. Yeah. Like they, sure. they know who baseball America is is uh some people uh you know a lot of people would get back to me and and we're happy to chat and uh just you know as it's grown more and more now it's you know it's it's a lot easier to contact pretty much anybody uh i need to and and traveling down there too is is super helpful too uh being able to go down to the dominican republic pretty regularly throughout the year uh over the years um being able to see players and, and just make a lot more contacts that way has been super, super helpful too. Wow. Uh, Robbie baseball. You are a very big time dynasty player. You might be one of the most hardcore dynasty players I know. And that's saying something. Cause I know some dynasty hardcores. Um, would you like to ask Ben a question here? Get this thing rolling. Anybody else wants to ask a question, jump in the live chat here and we'll do the same for you. Yeah, of course. Um, so <clears throat> I've got several, um, but <laughs> In addition, I, I am. Yeah, exactly. I'm just going to rhyme them all off. Good luck. Um, in addition to hockey and lacrosse, we play baseball here in the Great White North. I am in Canada, from Canada. Um, do you ever find, or have you ever found yourself in Canada scouting? Um, have you ever looked into U Sport, which is the university level here in Canada, uh, and know of any players, pro players, that have pr- been produced here in Canada? I know lots of guys leave in high school. There's lots of the tournament teams that uh, go down to wherever east coast uh side of the states and they play tournaments every other week i don't know if you've ever ran across any of them i'm just curious off the top your exposure to any of us lovely canucks uh i was i was in canada they had oh man what was the name of the tournament like at sky dome or roger center whatever no it was out in like ajax i think um okay some some tournament where cuba was like the cuban national team was there uh, okay i remember there was some like pretty rowdy games out there. That was uh, a lot of fun to watch and, um, you know, be able to see those guys. I went to go see the Cuban team in particular, because at that time, uh, you know, a lot of the best players had already left at that point, but it was becoming a big deal to still see the Cuban national team at that point, just in case, you know, you never know who's going to leave and who might become available uh, to sign. I I think uh, Adolis Garcia was on that team at the time, if I remember right. But, um, yeah, I mean, the obviously Canada falls under the the draft umbrella. I haven't covered them specifically, but you know, do definitely see Canadian players. I mean, there's one for uh, this upcoming draft, Brendan Lawson, uh, who I've seen. I'm a big fan of his. Uh, if you're looking for somebody in this upcoming draft, uh, left-handed hitting shortstop, you know, see if he stays at shortstop or not. But uh, I think he's a pretty advanced left-handed hitter, uh, big power. So um, yeah, like you said, and a lot of the Canadian players now, it's it's tough and I mean, it's a good thing for them, but uh, in the spring, if you're like a scout based in Canada, a lot of the top players in Canada are going down to, you know, some of these different academy programs in, you know, Virginia, yep. Florida, wherever. Oh. So a lot of these guys are going down there, which, you know, again, like if you're an area scout in Canada, kind of stinks for, for you, but like it's, it's good for the players to be able to get mm-hmm. seen a lot more and, and they'll go on, you know, the, I think the junior na- or the national team will bring a team down to the Dominican Republic for they'll play games against the academies, like the team academies down there for, you know, for them to get seen against good professional competition too. So uh, there's a lot of different opportunities that the players have that typically involves them going 
um, you know, outside Canada to just get some more exposure and get seen against really good competition too. Yeah, I've lost uh, a very good goaltender who decided he wanted to try to be a pitcher. So he went with the tournament team um, in Stratford, Ontario, and then every other week they were gone somewhere to the States. Uh, and then they had Americans on their team who I guess was like a pay-to-play type team. So the Americans were free. The Canadians were kind of paying the way to have those American players. So when they were at tournaments, you know, it was more competitive or whatever. The, I don't know the exact scenarios of it, but that was a very common thing. I don't know if it's still going on. That was six, seven years ago. So. so wow canada what a fun place to be we're live here with ben badler uh my wife's canadian by the way so obviously i love canada to a certain extent uh, follow ben on twitter at ben badler it's very simple b-e-n bad lure uh we got a question in the live chat i'd love to get answered here ben if you could take a shot at it this is from joe l joe lowry shout out to joe who's one of our joe's a man joe knows prospects quite well himself but he wants to know when and how has the Cuba international signings process changed? It used to be like a secret agent thing, and now I'm seeing Cubans as part of the regular signing period. What do you make of that, Ben? Um, yeah, so I think when what was I'm trying to like think of the time there, like there was a time period where you know, like you remember Yoenis Cespedes came out yeah. and Jose. And they got to wait. Yeah, and these guys, you know, these guys sign major league contracts at the time, uh, and then there was this like. These guys had success, players in Cuba, um, you know, and, and agents realized, oh, like these guys could get paid a lot of money. And then there was this huge number of Cuban players who left of all different ages, right? Like some of these guys were in their late 20s. Some of these guys were still teenagers, early 20s, all, all across the board. Um, some of them had good numbers in Cuba, but weren't really good, like didn't really have a future in professional baseball but it just you know drained cuba of all of its top talent um so now like a, a lot of the since a lot of those players have already left like the guys who could come over now and immediately step into uh, a major league roster or maybe even go to like double a triple a the upper levels of the minors now a lot of the players who are leaving are the players who are you know players who are on their 15u national team or 18U nationally, even really younger than 18, like the 15U, even like the, you know, players who are leaving Cuba now at 13, 14 years old to go to, you know, a country like the Dominican Republic and tr sign as a international free agent there. So you, you have Cuban players now who are more the traditional age of the, you know, the 16, 17 year old kids that we see signing out of uh, the Dominican Republic and Venezuela uh, primarily. So um, you're, you're seeing players definitely leave at a younger age. The the tough part for, I think, the Cuban players now is that, uh, you know, we see this with them. They'll, you know, you, you can't, the, the international signing process works in, in, in the sense that te well, teams will agree to sign a player well before they're actually eligible to sign on January 15th. Right. So, right, like the guys who signed this year, January 15th, a lot of them have had deals in place to sign for uh, a year, two years, three years in some cases. Uh, with a Cuban player, you can't agree to sign a player who's like still in Cuba, right? Like you don't know if they're actually going to leave Cuba uh, to try to sign with the team. So those guys, because of the speed of the market, end up kind of getting disadvantaged where these teams will commit so much money of their bonus pool for a given class where the player might be eligible to sign. But then this player comes out and, and uh, like, there's not enough money for teams to pay that player what he's looking for and, and what a team is even willing to pay the player. Uh, so the player ends up having to wait uh, an extra year. So we'll, we'll see that where the Cuban players might be eligible to sign, uh, say, January 15th this year. But some of them will wait until January 15th the following year when the new bonus pools kick in um, and there's just more money available that teams have to be able to spend on the player. Ben, are you saying money still influences all this? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think money is money is important to to this. Yeah, I think that's fair uh, to say. <laughs> We're live here with Ben Badler. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, Ben Badler. Uh, Benjamin Chase, you and I, you know, you wrote some notes down. And we were talking about some of the changes in the scouting process. Could you uh, dive into that, Benjamin, yeah. and serve it up to well, Ben? I was going to say, you know, it along with Cubans being more prominent in J15, I've noticed. Uh, I mean, like someone like uh, Jun Sucks uh, Shim with uh, with the uh, Pirates last year, mm -hmm. a little more 
uh, with the J15, you're seeing more Asian players that are being involved in that system than I guess I was ever really used to back in, you know, early, you know, in the tw- early 2010s, trying to pay attention to like what the Braves were signing when I was doing writing for Brave sites that, you know, you didn't see Asian prospects coming in that group. Um, and then I guess for, I'm just kind of curious if like your scouting window in general, if maybe some of that is allowed by the shift to January 15th and how much of that, you know, the scouting window on a player has changed with that move from the, from July to January. Um, yeah, I think it just, it depends on, depends on the team, the player, uh, you know, like everybody who's grows up in the Dominican Republic or Venezuela, like they're not, there's no ho- I mean, they have obviously winter ball, but they're not, they're, they don't have any aspirations of, uh, like there's no league for them to play in full time mm-hmm. at home the way there is for players in, you know, Korea, right? Like a lot of them will just stay in Korea and play in the KBO and make good money there and stay at home. Uh, but some of them do have aspirations to sign right out of high school uh, with a major league club. So you do see um, some of those players. It, it's still a pretty small number of players that were signing each yeah. year out of uh, Korea, Taiwan. Um, it's like probably, I think, in the single digits still. So you do have the you know outlier players like that. Um, and it's, I think, just the way the speed of the market works now where the teams are committing so much of their bonus pool money uh, it's such an early point in the process to players for, you know, whether it was July 2nd or, or now January 15th, um, they, they do that for the players in Latin America, but for players in you know, Taiwan, Korea, those players are generally waiting until they're graduating high school uh, just to sign. So they're, 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 all, they're also at a disadvantage in that sense where, okay, by the time they're ready uh, or willing to agree to sign with a club, a lot of that. Uh, bonus pool money that teams have has already been uh, accounted for and, and spent elsewhere. Um, so it's, it's, I think it's disadvantageous for, for them to uh, be in that position, unfortunately. So, the other, I guess for me, what do you think, Ben, as far as the process now that it's January rather than July, is that something you like? And I guess I, the folks I talk to like the change just because having it in July with where draft is and you've got, you know, it just, there was a whole lot of other things going on in the middle of the summer, like right there. And now this is kind of the focus you can have in the off season right there for those types of folks, I guess. Um, so the team folks that I guess I've talked to like it, but I guess I'm just curious what your feedback has been in your own personal view. Yeah, as far as giving it its own spotlight, I think certainly having it on January 15th is more of an advantage than having it be on July 2nd where it's, like you said, there's major league games going on that day, the draft is going on, uh, minor league games are going on, it's you know it's two days right before a, a you know big 4th of July holiday here mm-hmm. in the States too. Uh, it it kind of gets lost a little bit more in the shuffle there, whereas January 15th, uh, you know, un- unless it collides with like salary arbitration day on Twitter, the most exciting uh, day on Twitter, of course. Uh, there's, not, there's nothing else going on in baseball. So it, it's, it is cool to have all these players get the, the spotlight on them for one day on the baseball calendar. The downside is, well, there's a couple downsides. One, for the players, because of the way they get taxed on their bonuses, um, you know, they, they typically, you know, when it was July 2nd, they would sign a contract for July 2nd. Uh, they would get you know, the contract is technically for the following year, but, you know, they would get paid. So they wouldn't actually play in official games until the following year, but they would get paid before the end of the calendar year. If they're not coming to the States before then, they're not getting, you know, they're not having to pay U.S. income mm-hmm. tax. Whereas now, like if you bring a player to the United States, he's going to get taxed on that bonus, which is like, you know, all right, like we have, t- you know, you sign for a million dollars. It's a big chunk of your, your, your bonus mm-hmm. you're giving to Uncle Sam. And it's not like, oh, you're some, you know, big executive making a million dollars a year. This is a one-time thing that you're getting taxed on a pretty high rate. So that's why part of the reason, at least why, a big part of the reason why even the most advanced players with, a, you know, exceptions here and there are staying in the Dominican Summer League now for their first season instead of coming over to the ACL or, or the Florida Complex League. 
Uh, and then the other disadvantage too is, you know, you, you just, when you're signing players July 2nd, okay, now we have them in our system. We have a year basically to go to get them ready to develop them mm-hmm. or continue their development before the official game start in the Dominican Summer League. So we have, you know, what at the time was called Tricky League games, which is these yeah. unofficial informal games uh, between teams of, of players that they just signed for July 2nd. And, and maybe some guys are bringing in for tryouts to, you know, get these guys playing in games and just the off-field stuff of learning the the routine, how we practice, how we, you know, do things in, in the yeah. weight room, how we just do things day-to-day at the academy, uh, Dominican Instructional League, all this stuff. And now it's like, all right, now I have to sign them January 15th. So we're missing all that time between July 2nd, January 15th to, uh, you know, kind of jumpstart and expedite the development for these players. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's there's some advantages to having it January 15th, but uh, definitely uh, some trade-offs to moving it back yeah. to. Okay. Okay. I've got a follow-up on that now that you've opened opened the door here. Um, so they've, they've moved the date back, so now it's a full calendar year. Uh, are there MLB teams you've seen take a player that you've been excited for um, only to see the organization make what appears to later on become a developmental error, whether that's they skip them past complex league or they keep them in the DSL an extra year? Um, you know, they end up in a ball. We've seen Colorado do it uh, with Betancourt this past year, and he, he struggled mightily. Um, are there things that you have seen some of the MLB teams do within this change or prior that you think has hurt a player? Or do you think more often than not, they're really trying to do the best for the player at all times, not the organization does this at all times, you know, stay the company line? As far as promoting a player to a level too quickly, mm-hmm. you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think, you you know, we do see examples of players who probably are getting pushed too fast but we you know we also see examples of players who maybe get promoted and and struggle but then respond to that challenge of struggling and and adapt to that level of competition and and figure it out i I think i kind of tend to think that what level a player is at um, or is assigned to is 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 not going to make a huge difference ultimately in the long term I, i think there can be examples of like okay you know we need this uh, you know, we need this pitcher to work on a, a specific pitch. Like we, we, we really wanted to work on his changeup, but if he's struggling with his control, he's always getting behind in the count and you're pushing him to a level that's just too far advanced for him. Well, all right, well now the count is consistently, you know, one Oh, two Oh, two one. Like he's just not going to have as much opportunity or uh, yeah. desire. He needs a lower to... level of hitter to get to Oh, one Oh, two. Right. Yeah. You don't want a guy to be like too far over, over his head so mm-hmm. um so i there, there's some truth to that but i, I think overall ultimately like the good ones end up figuring it out the good ones figure it out robbie does that work for you you accept that answer yeah yeah <laughs> okay I, I, I was curious also ben just as a follow-up on that one if you um can speak at all about the transition that sometimes these players go through from when they're signing um, to when they actually begin with the MLB team. You kind of led with the transition from July or sorry, June, July into January. Um, but like when the team decides to move them stateside, do you have any insight on when that is kind of discussed? Like, would that be something within signing where they say we're, you know, it's 2024 now, we're going to bring you over next year? Or, I, I mean, you kind of talked about the tax side of it before and it almost being like a bad, well, not almost, it is a bad thing when the government's going to take that money from you. Yeah, I mean, the players and like their agents will say, like, no, I want to stay here and keep more of our right you know, part moment, of the deal which... is he stays, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, so you know, like for like the super advanced players, like I'm, you know, the Padres are. It sounds like you're going to bring over uh, Devry this year, uh, just like they did with Ethan Salas last year. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that was discussed before, uh, at least before the official signing happened about the plan. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, coming over and that, that's one of the biggest jumps too for a player, right? Like I think going from, obviously from the minor leagues, usually from triple a to the big leagues is a big one, uh, going from the complex league to a full season league from the jump to high to double a can be a big one. But I mean, a huge one obviously is going from the Dominican summer league to your first time in the States. Uh, obviously the the competition Mm -hmm. is better, but you're getting used to everything in a foreign country where, Maybe you speak 
some of the language, maybe not. I mean, I, I think it's teams are doing a better job now and, and there's just more technology, more tools at our, you know, at everybody's disposal. Everybody has a translator uh, in their computer in their pocket right now, which was not something people had point, 10 years yeah. ago coming over. Um, so it is, there, there, it's an easier, uh, think things have become easier for players uh, coming over now than, than it was a decade ago, but it's still, you know, it's still a big adjustment. And again, these kids are like, you know, 18 years old away from home uh, mm-hmm. and away from, uh, you know, like away from that living in an academy, uh, the team academy environment for the first time. So, I mean, think about just the first time, you know, if you went to college, like, I don't know, like my first semester of my freshman year was not my most shining moments, uh, <laughs> you know, my first time away from home there. So, you know, a lot what? Of these kids, yeah, go through, uh, you know, another learning curve too. And I, you know, I didn't even have to leave my my state to do it. So these guys <laughs> so, are going to a, a different country. So is this fair then? Because Ted brought this up. He says, why aren't they teaching these kids English? But if you are saying they've got a translator in their pocket, they really don't need that. Do you think it's unfair? Because he's saying, couldn't they hire one English teacher? And I'm saying, uh, you know, first off, you don't have to adhere to the English language to come to this country. It never has been a prereq for anybody who comes here. But uh, do you think that's a disadvantage in any way when it comes to maybe the future of their careers, they go into their mid twenties, late twenties, they become someone special and not everybody's going to become someone special either. So I'm just curious how you come around on all that. Uh, well, I mean, the teams all do have English language yep. programs and some of them have more. There you go. Have, Uncle like, Ted high school programs at their Dominican academies and others. Um, you know, it's some of it's just up to the player too, how much uh, he wants to put into it. But also it's like, you know, it's not easy to learn a second language. Like I, I speak some right. Spanish, like if, uh, depending who it is, I can understand them better than others, but um, it, it's not easy. I mean, it's like Julio Rodriguez, mm-hmm. like is incredibly bright and smart and like picked up the language super quickly um, within like a couple of years. But I don't know, it's not, it's not easy if you're, uh, you know, signing out of Dominican Republic at 16 years old, 17 years old to suddenly become fluent in English by the time you're coming over to the states at 18 19 years old just a, a couple of years later either that's fair and I, and I know uh like ronald acuna jr was interviewed uh with by uh atlanta journal constitution here either last year or the year before and he made the comment that he uses a translator not because he can't speak english because he can and he did that whole interview with the reporter in english but because when they ask him a question post game, they want an immediate reaction. They want an immediate response. And for him, speaking in his natural language is easier to do a quick thought, quick words, and make sure you're saying the right words that you want to say. Because otherwise, you say the wrong word and it turns into a freaking sound clip that everyone plays for three weeks because you you mistranslated something from Spanish to English and said just the wrong word. And that's what they're trying to avoid in many cases. Yeah, you just, you know, you want to speak with precision and get make sure that what you want communicated gets communicated uh, correctly, especially if you're, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr. and everybody yeah. is going to be hanging on what you're saying. Absolutely yep. fair. I hope that helps you, Uncle Ted. Yes, there's more than you know or uh, what we know goes on behind the scenes and what goes on down there and in many of the different countries. But I wanted to ask real quickly if you could shed any light or what your comments are related to the recent athletic story about the Dominican Republic. And uh, all the on it was a pretty in-depth article. Did you think it was uh, a fair article? Did it awaken any realities that we didn't know, or is this old news? Uh, I think age falsification is definitely something that's been going on. It's not like a secret; it's been going on for a long time. Um, so I, I think it, it does seem like there are some more prominent players who have been. Uh, caught up in it um you know probably will take a little bit more time for all the details of what exactly is happening uh right now to come out but um you know we'll we'll see if it ends up uh we'll see what ends up coming from it but i i think age falsification is something that's uh definitely not anything new to uh to the dominican republic unfortunately or yeah, just for those amateur that don't sports, know. right? Amateur sports with <laughs> yeah. money on the line. Like you always have parents who are thinking, well, if they're back a year, right? Like they're born in December. So if we're, you know, if we could, or January, if we could get them back that year, they've got a whole other year to develop and all yeah. that crap too. So 
I mean, are, if, are we really going to be surprised when the report comes out and says Bartolo Colon is actually about 65 right now? I mean, you know, <laughs> he aged aged to be a mid-30s year old when he was, you know, supposed to be 25. So it makes sense. But, no, I mean, if you go back and look, we've been doing this for the entire length of baseball. I mean, how old was Satchel Paige really? Do, does anyone truly know? And, I mean, you know, we have – when you don't have excellent documentation in hand, which in lots of countries in the world, we still don't. Sometimes there is that loophole you can make. And that's unfortunately what we end up running into on a, on a worldwide basis. Um, for me, I guess, Ben, one question I'd have coming off of that a little bit, um, kind of hitting a political end of things. I noticed a number, it was, Two, three years ago, you guys stopped in, or you didn't include for a long while the uh, Venezuelan signing bonuses with play- mm-hmm. players. And just kind of curious to have you talk a little bit to some of that with the money being mentioned and things like that with these young players. Uh, yeah, I mean, Venezuela has been, uh, you know, just an, an unfortunate situation in recent years. Uh, teams have basically pulled entirely out of their academies like there used to be a venezuelan summer league Mm -hmm. i think it eventually got down to like i think it was like four teams at one point and then uh, i forget who the last one that pulled out was and it was like all right well we can't just have a like a three-team league so uh the teams all you know they all have they all still have scouts on the grounds in venezuela but uh at a certain point uh, and it still is true now a, a lot of the big showcases for venezuelan players moved to colombia to places uh, you know, I would go to, been to like Cartagena, their showcases in, um, in Medellin, uh, Bogota, all these different places in Colombia where the Venezuelan agents would bring their players to Colombia because the American scouts just didn't feel safe or comfortable going around, uh, going into Venezuela. You need a visa to go into, um, all, all these complications going in there. This is from the government, the local Venezuelan government. For those that don't know, I'm just curious. There was the, what do you mean? Like which, they were which, making things harder on everybody from the Venezuelan side, from the government side. Just, I don't uh, know well, the politics yeah, of it. So, well, yeah, I mean, just just the situation in Venezuela uh, just became worse as a country. Um, people felt less safe there, um, and uh, it just so so. You know, if you if you don't have scouts coming in from you know the states, like the international directors, the guys who are ultimately making decisions on these players uh they wanted to get these players you know the agents still want to sign players the players still trying to get signed you still have scouts on the ground in venezuela but a lot of the showcases uh were then organized by the players agents let's say all right well let's go next door bring the players from venezuela to colombia scouts are Uh. going to go to colombia uh, and see these players. So um, I, I do think the situation has gotten better in uh, recent years. There's more, definitely no more American scouts uh, or just or just scouts in general from outside of Venezuela now uh, who are going into Venezuela. Uh, so it seems like mm-hmm. they're getting more comfortable with that. But it it's not the same. It's not the same ease of going, just flying down to the DR, go in. Um, you know, I mean, that country, um, it's, it's just different situations. So um the the good thing is it does seem again anecdotally at least and just from talking to people in venezuela people who who you know are more regularly traveling into venezuela that uh it does seem like things are um starting to to get better but uh we'll see hey keep your eyes on the road this is the Blotto Podcast. We'll be right back after these pointless messages. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, wow. See, I'm learning so much here with Ben Badler. He's a wealth of knowledge and information here. If you got a question, you can throw it in the live chat while we're still here for about another 20 minutes. Uh, Uncle Ted wanted to follow up on what he was talking about with the English. He says, no, but it's better for the sport to have stars that can communicate with the dang audiences. Well, Ted, that's your opinion, but we still have other ways to make that happen. It's not like these players haven't flourished. There's a lot of players with English as a second language that have flourished in this game. we got a lot of examples of that. He said it's not easy to teach a 20-year if they're signing these kids at 16. Well, And he says, finally, that podcasting and baseball is the future. Ah, you better learn. Podcasting, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think a podcast is on these players' minds, Ted? Come on, get out of here. Uh, also, Robbie, why does Rob have a coffee cup? Says, I wonder, I know who that is. That's Ty. What's up, yeah. Ty? I, I apologize, Ty. It's midday. Like, I mean, it's half full of Baileys, but I had to leave work early. So, uh, <laughs> I didn't think it was appropriate to crack to crack all the beers, you know, and save those for tonight. No judgment. Um, no judgment here, my friend. Also, there's no way Badler has read all those books. That's probably true. <laughs> and then lastly, where did the big ticket international pitching prospect go? Well, the, that's a good question because, yeah, if you just look at the top international bonuses each year, uh, like I don't even think this year we had a pitcher sign for a million dollars. So it gets, just I think of the top 50 bonuses, maybe one toward like the 50-ish range uh, was a pitcher. Uh, you know, the Cardinals gave Brunelli Franco from the Dominican Republic $800,000, but teams – Teams just don't want to pay a lot of money for 16, 17-year-olds uh, pitching. Like you, know, you look in the States this year, there was – I think it was one high school pitcher who got drafted in the first round because I think teams just look at the track record of uh, high school pitchers in the first round of the draft, and it's, it's not great. Um, it was under 20% that they exceeded rookie limits when I did the, the dive of 12 years ago. Um, so but data back to 2011 up to 2023, less than 15% of the high school pitchers, uh, through 51 innings. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about pitchers who are mostly like 18, you know, some 19, some 17, mostly around 18 years old in the States. All right. Well now take, you know, a couple of years off that where you're trying to make right. a big bet on a 16 year old pitcher. And really, again, cause these decisions are being made. So early in the process, you're probably really looking at a player who's 15, 14. Uh, like teams are just not willing to bet a whole bundle of money uh, on a 14, 15-year-old uh, pitcher for the most part. They're looking around and saying, hey, like, let's look at this Houston Astros rotation they had in the, you know, in the World Series where it's like Framber Valdez and Luis Garcia and – uh, you know, Christian Javier, all these guys who they're signing for, you know, 10 grand guys are signing mm-hmm. that, you know, quote unquote, like older. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, exactly. Guys who are, you know, older yeah. age pitchers for, for them. I mean, they're still like 19, 18 years old. It's a high school, senior college freshman age, but it's older for, uh, for an international pitcher to be signing. And they're saying, look, we can develop arms from all different price points and in, in ages. Whereas the, you know, the big ticket, the big priced international hitters have a have a much better track record. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be all sorts of busts when you're signing players at 16 years old. But a lot of the big bonus guys, you know, where it's Vladimir Guerrero Jr., um, you know, like that year where it was like Eloy Jimenez, Devers, Glaber Torres. Yeah, that was, was a good like year. Top, 16, I think. Yeah, you know, uh, 2013 or – uh, yeah, like Julio Rodriguez, that, that 2017 class was really good. So mm-hmm. uh, I think the team's just realizing, yeah, it's a lot better value to get uh, to pay pay up for the bats and then try to uh, find the the arms at the, the lower price points, which kind of sucks if you're a, a pitcher, obviously, <laughs> down there. I had one that we didn't get to earlier in the chat. Bringing this back up, Ben, if you could add any light to it, that'd be great. This was about the Angels. And a potential lawsuit in regard to broken agreements leading into the signing period. Any update on that and any potential changes because of that? Uh, I have not heard any 
update on that situation specifically, but uh, I, I also haven't heard of any, like I haven't noticed any changes as far as the way teams operate. It's teams are still doing super early agreements with players uh, and not every case does that agreement end up holding up. Uh, you know, some, sometimes it's for a legitimate reason. Player fails a physical, uh, fails a drug test. Like, yeah, those are uh, natural reasons to back out of uh, uh, an agreement or, you know, the agreement is really contingent upon the player passing the physical, passing the, uh, the drug test. So that's normal. Um, but there are still examples of both teams and players uh, backing out of deals. So uh, haven't really noticed any changes as far as the way teams are actually operating um, that way either. Yeah, that's going to happen. I'm not surprised to hear that. And Ty's follow-up to what he asked you earlier. It just seems that they aren't making it to the pros at the same rate they did in years prior related to the big-ticket pitchers. Uh, did anything change? I think you just kind of laid it out, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know like that the hitters are not succeeding as much. or The, the pitchers the pitching. aren't. Yeah, like the pitchers. Since Adrian Morion disappointed everybody, oh! um, I think it was the Vlad year. I think that yeah. was the same year. Um there we like we see guys right Yuri Perez we got there's there's a list of guys that are great now but like you mentioned a bunch of them Ben they're all with the Astros <laughs> um so like is there a is almost like is there a secret sauce or like you said is it just waiting just don't you know spend your money on the bats now scoop up pitchers later on once they're older yeah I think it's teams are you know seeing the results in the draft where it's it's just you know no matter what resources you want to put toward it it's just hard to predict with a whole lot of precision the future mm-hmm. of high school pitching, it's going to be even more difficult when we're talking about 16-year-old pitchers, right. too, and you chop off a couple of years of, of age there. So, uh, yeah, I think they're just saying, why why would we make big bets on uh, a pitcher at that age? And especially when the guys who, you know, the pitchers who have gotten a lot of money, uh, there's some 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 success stories. Like you back, obviously, to like Francisco Liriano got a lot of money way oh, back. You're going so day, far or, back, though. Yeah, no. like Fel- yeah, like Felix but, Hernandez was a great signing. Yeah. Uh, you know, Julio Urias. So um, when I did this a couple nights yeah. ago, Ben, uh, twenty, I went back to 2015, 2016, looking for the guys who had signed for money that are mm-hmm. MLBers, and it was like Yanni or Cano. Um, that was the beginning, middle, and end of the list of guys who had had big bonuses as pitchers who are still like MLBers now, and he's a relief pitcher with yours yeah. yeah and he came over at a you know at a cuba signed a little you know older age kind right. of like that's like the uh the the a signed oh man i'm blanking on his name Anoa, michael Anoa. well yes they yeah. signed him but i'm oh, thinking okay. of the guy they, they signed from oh, uh, the last the yeah. last year class for uh three million dollars whose name i'm oh uh, i'm blanking on i had, I had a list of names and he's, i didn't want to rhyme them off and i deleted it is yeah, that he's in our top 100 <laughs> Like Vero Vero or Vera? Isn't that his no, last name? No, I'll find oh, okay. it. But they, yeah, they gave him $3 million, but it's like, yeah, he's also, I think he was 18 or, or 19 years old at the time, right? So it's a little bit of a different bucket um, with him compared to, uh, you know, signing a, a 16-year-old pitcher out of uh, uh, the DR or from uh, from Venezuela. Yeah, And that's, so I guess, for me, you know, we come on. We were just bringing up the Angels. The Angels have had their stuff in the in the international market and not gotten maybe what a lot of teams would hope for. You know, we're we're actually on this channel going to talk. I'll have a whole podcast on the Orioles later today. Um, that's a that's a yeah, situation. Luis Morales, that's there we go. Morales, that's right. But yeah. uh, Thank you. but this is a. You know, the Orioles were an organization that didn't touch the international market for a long time. And how, I guess, quite frankly, how are teams all accessing the market in the same way now? Or are there certain teams that still, they won't touch a seven-figure bonus, but they'll fill out the amount that they got? I mean, the change in how that money is supposed to be allocated, I've seen has done some of that for teams to where it used to be where, you know, they could trade all that away and it was, you know, and gain more the other way, you know, it just, it doesn't have the same effect as it used to back in the day, but you don't, it seems like everyone's at least spending something quality. 
anyway. In, yeah, that's terms of the price. that's one of the big changes from when I started. Uh, is like back at the you know twenty two thousand eight through like two thousand ten, you maybe had ten teams that were really serious competitive players uh, mm-hmm. for international signings, and then it came to the point where it was basically everybody except for the Orioles, and then like the Marlins would be like in some years outside like you know their previous ownership was not great and uh not you know didn't give their people in Latin america the most resources to work with so uh but otherwise yeah, bye bye yeah the, the the orioles the <laughs> orioles were like the sore outlier for by the end of it up until uh you know they brought in mike elias but you know it wasn't like this was like dan duquette's idea either to be like oh like there's players in the Dominican. No, like we don't want to sign players in the Dominican. <laughs> Where do they keep coming from? These no, it was, <laughs> yeah, like it, it was an obviously an ownership call to basically just avoid signing international right. players for. They didn't want to set up an academy either, right? Blue Jays are one of the first in the Dominican that did it, and that kind of like paved the way for others. But not everyone did it. Yeah, every, yeah, every team has an academy down there now. It's um, you know some are more bare bones, functional, maybe a little dysfunctional, <laughs> depending on the, you know, the older ones. But there's a lot of teams that have uh, pretty new academies down there. So every, everybody's set up down there. But yeah, the Orioles for a while were just a complete uh, joke there, which, right. you know, and it takes a long time. Like you see what they, Elias came in and, and hired Kobe Perez. They started in like 2018 or 19, maybe. But even then, it's like, hey, like, all right, we're good to go. We're, we're going to start spending in Latin America. But everything moves so fast. Like, you can't sign the top players because for the next year because they've already committed to other clubs. Right, they're so, spoken to. Mm-hmm. They're spoken yeah, to. Yeah, so it, it takes a while. You see throughout their entire, you know, the upper levels of their farm system. I mean, I guess what Basayo got to double A, Samuel Basayo, by the end of the year. And he's been a phenomenal signing for them. But otherwise, they're – the, you know, the upper levels of their farm system is completely devoid of any uh, international yep. prospect of any uh, value. So there's definitely guys that have at the lower levels now, but it just it takes so long for these guys to uh, matriculate upwards through the system when, uh, you know, you have so many years of just ignoring such an important part of the, you know, being developing homegrown players uh they're still feeling the effects of it although i don't know i don't think any orioles fans are crying about the state of the farm system right now <laughs> jeez <laughs> the grease and grease huh? absolutely uh this is a an intense two-parter for you ben so deep breath um <laughs> do it. you play fantasy baseball at all uh, you know, I do not play, uh, right not, now. not at the moment. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, as, uh, Govier mentioned, I have an issue with it. I play it all the time. It is what I do. Um, <laughs> outside the big bonus arm or sorry, not arms outside the big bonus players. Um, who are some guys you're comfortable giving some praise to on the hitting side, or if there's any players you thought should not, or sorry, should have got an even bigger bonus that you think, you know, we're missing out on, um, typically just for background in dynasty leagues, people go, okay, this is the bonus for player A, B, C, D, and E. So that's sure. their value, their value, their value at the end. Where might that be out of whack? Um, I need some names. I've got a draft starting tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, we talked about the, yeah, I mean, the bonuses are, you know, we talked about the, like what a player signed for on January 15th. That number might have been like agreed to two years prior, right? right. So that might have been his value that was agreed to at that time. And then they, you know, the teams do adjust the numbers sometimes up, down, whatever. Um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely players who I don't even, I can't call them like late bloomers, but you know, for a kid who's still 16 or 17 years old, but like within the context developed maybe later uh, in mm-hmm. the process where if everything, every team reset their bonus pools now, and there was a, say a draft, like they go pretty high. Uh, you know, you're looking for somebody like that. I, I'd say one of them would be, the Yankees signed a shortstop from the Dominican Republic, Dexter's Peralta. Um, right six foot down. two. Yeah, Dexter's <laughs> Peralta, shortstop, switch hitter, six foot two, a ton of strength projection still left in his frame. Uh, moves around with real good body control and ease at shortstop. Uh, you know, 
we'll see which way it ends up going physically. But right now, it looks like he has a a chance to stay at shortstop, and it's it's a lot of contact from uh, both sides of the plate. I, I like the swing, uh, bat speed uh, is definitely there. He already hits the ball hard, and and you can see. It probably has room to put on another 30, 40 pounds, maybe. Okay. Uh, yep. So, you know, even once once that happens, the ball is going to start flying even <laughs> farther off his bat. So he'd be he'd be one guy to watch if you're looking for another shortstop. Uh, you know, out of Venezuela, the the Guardian signed Gabriel Rodriguez, uh, not the Gabriel Rodriguez out of Venezuela. He's signed a few the years ago. One. The new yeah. yeah, they definitely have a type. Venezuelan uh, <laughs> shortstop named Gabriel Rodriguez. Yeah, uh, but their, their other type is just guys who uh, make a ton of contact. Uh, you know, you go see their team every year that they sign, like in the Dominican Summer League, and they're typically a lot smaller, like very noticeably smaller than everybody else. But uh, a lot of guys who don't swing and miss. Uh, it's just a right. philosophy throughout the organization. He definitely fits that. He was a shortstop on the their U15 for Venezuela's U15 World Cup team a couple uh, years ago. Didn't strike out once in the tournament. So uh, definitely a lot of contact. Uh, really high baseball IQ. His, his dad is a scout for uh, the Brewers. Uh, another guy with really good actions at, at shortstop. Looks like he has a pretty good chance to uh, stick there. So maybe not like the you know, the explosiveness or like the, maybe the power upside that Peralta mm-hmm. has, but uh, somebody who should make a lot of contact uh, and has a, I think has a, has a pretty good chance to stay at shortstop too. Wow. I disappeared, but I love the answer. I, I got the gist. I was here for the beginning <laughs> of it. So uh, that is what you get with Ben Badler. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, Ben Badler, Big Jet to Ben, MJ Govier, Robbie Baseball, Palazzo Podcast, two L's, two Utah's. Uh, Give me two. Final question time. We're about to wrap this thing up here. Uh, ben, you want to get on the record? Benjamin, you want to get the record? Yep. I'm, I'm going to actually piggyback a little bit on Joe's question here. Um, you know, you had mentioned in the list that you have on, on the BA site, you have guys that were trending up. He's curious if there are any that are a big trend down. And I guess in for me to add on a little bit to that, you know, it, yes, we know they're 16, and so therefore truly calling anyone having a quote-unquote high floor at that age is almost impossible, but is there anyone who's, to you, has pretty safe skills in this class? A safe, a safe skills. Um, hmm. I think, yeah, I mean, just I think the to me, the more polished you are as a hitter makes you a, a safer relatively player like you know obviously i don't want to choose like devree right like <laughs> pretty prominent guy mm-hmm. easy answer but you know you look at some of the more advanced hitters in the class and you know perdomo who the brave sign obviously mm-hmm. would fit into that group too um uh, adolfo sanchez outfielder out of the dominican republic oh, who yeah. the red sign um like i expect him to go out and have success right away. Uh, I, I think the Reds have done a, you know, we, we've seen that with a lot of their recent international signings. Guys were pretty polished. Him, uh, you know, guy, guys who just have like good instincts for the game too. Like there's some guys that, you know, teams will pay big bonuses for who are like phenomenal athletes or have huge raw power, uh, but like struggle to take in, into the game. And sometimes those guys click, but I, I think those guys are, are a risky bet, at least if you're going to pay big money for them. Whereas somebody like, uh, you know, like the Royals signed Yandel Ricardo, a uh, shortstop oh, out of yep. Cuba, somebody who's, I, I think, a pretty polished switch hitter from both sides of the plate. I mean, he's getting so big now that maybe he stays at shortstop. Maybe it ends up being second or, or third base. I think he still has a chance to stay at shortstop. But um, I think a, a, an advanced player, very instinctive player uh, with a pretty well-rounded skill set, uh, somebody I think is, a, uh, you know, I'd call him a, a you know, a pretty safe, I don't know if it's safe, but a, a good bet to come out right away and see things click for mm-hmm. him uh, offensively. Like I'd be surprised if he doesn't, like, make it to low A or something, whereas some of the other guys, it's like, yeah, like there's some big tools and upside here, but uh, high upside, high, <laughs> high flame out potential as well. Oh, flame so out. then did you have – did you have any guys, and I, I, you know, not asking you to crap on anybody or anything, but is there anyone who kind of had a trend down as as we got 
close to signing time this year. Yeah, yeah, it's tough to say about like a 16-year-old kid yeah. who uh, just signed and call him like a, a trend-down guy. But um, yeah, I mean, like there's, you know, de- definitely guys who I'm curious to see how things shake out when they get to the DSL. And it's it's tough with these guys too right now because like the, the players are committing to teams so early on in the process now that, you know, once you commit to sign with a team, like you're not going around and going to tryouts and showcases and all this stuff. Uh, so a lot of the teams and, and their teams are focused now uh, on players who are going to be signing in 25 and 26 and mm-hmm. 27. So by the time, you know, like I'll be on the phone talking to international scouts, oh, what do you think about this guy? And a lot of times it's, uh, here's what I here's what I thought of him. Uh, well, the last time I saw him, which was two years ago, or Jeez. I, but then I they're literally... off the circuit, right? Because they're they're technically you know they're signed or committed to sign, so they stop doing yeah, it, stop yeah, because yeah, the player's already committed to sign with another club at that right. point. So why would he go do showcases and work out for other clubs? Mm-hmm. Now you might go around and see him at uh, you know like an unofficial game that the player is playing in at his academy, uh, or you, you know you're just going around to different fields. You might see a guy. Um, you know, just taking some BP or, or some ground balls, working out at his own program, but it's, you know, spot looks here, there, very inconsistent. I mean, there's, there's guys who are signing for a million, two million, five million. Uh, that's, you know, international directors just never, some of them just never saw those players at all. Wow. And it just sounds weird to say, because wow. you wouldn't, like Jeez. in the States, you wouldn't have a scouting director in the draft being like, oh, like, uh, you know, first round pick Tommy Troy or uh, Matt Shaw, who like, who like never saw him. Like that just right. wouldn't happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. look. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's or oh, I, I haven't seen him in two years. Right. It's it's just not, yeah. It's just totally different down there. Jeez. So it's like all right, kind of. You know, as much as I love you know covering these players, uh, it is definitely. Uh, I think it's important just to be honest and transparent that like. Yeah, like the certainty of information. Not only are they younger, obviously, so the projection is further away, but just the certainty of information about these players right now is not to the same level of depth and detail that, you know, maybe even than it used to be when the signing process was slower, but certainly not compared to what we have on Mm -hmm. players in, uh, you know, minor league prospects or uh, draft prospects here where, you know, maybe a player committed to Vanderbilt, a high school player committed to Vanderbilt when he was in eighth grade or ninth grade. Uh, but it's not like he stops going out and showcasing and working out for yeah. uh, all these cause everybody still sees him. So it's just, it's just different down, down there. It's just different. That's so interesting. Thank you, Ben. Uh, ben, you got to get on the record real quick though. Jackson holiday. Will he be an impact player in 2024 in the major leagues? Just got to get your opinion on it. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's special, man. Um, uh, one of the most polished hitters I've, I've ever seen that age. Oh. Uh, great, great strike zone judgment, great swing, ton of contact. There's power in there. Like he hasn't even, I mean, he, he looks like he could be like a, you know, the same age as his younger brother, Ethan, who's 16 years old, right? Like he hasn't even gotten into his mm-hmm. man strength yet. So, uh, once that comes, like you're already seeing some power, but, um, yeah, I think he has a chance to be a really, really special player. Ooh! Uh, is there one guy who might make an impact this year in the majors that isn't getting as much pub? Like, do you have a guy that you ride for who you expect good things from even in 2024? Hmm. Uh, so somebody who would make an impact right away. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be an all-star necessarily, but somebody who could be on the roster this year who's not as touted as a guy like Holiday is. Um... I think uh, just put down the spot. No big deal. Yeah, so. yeah. The, you know the yeah the Brewers have a couple guys who I think are like mm-hmm. I guess they're in our top 100, but maybe not like the like I'm not like getting inundated with questions about Tyler Black. Yes, or, you said uh, him. I lo- oh, I love that's my guy. <laughs> I love Tyler Black. I got him on like every dynasty team. Yes, OBP yeah, machine. I think it's like yeah, OBP machine. Like, and he's got this like strong compact frame. Where you like you wouldn't think he runs well, but he does run pretty well. Uh, he's a good athlete. 
Um, I don't know exactly where he's going to end up playing defensively, like for athletic as athletic as he is. Uh, is definitely more of an offensive-minded guy. They're trying to figure out where exactly he's going to play. Like I think outfield probably maybe suits him best, but just given who the Brewers have in their organization right now, that's probably not going to happen. But yeah, I think he's just a a really polished hitter. Um, and then I think Robert Gasser is an interesting guy where Ooh, yeah. uh, a left-handed pitcher who doesn't have like huge velocity, but um, you know, if you, if you take out some of his early starts in the year where he was really struggling to throw strikes and I don't know how much of it was the automated strike zone and him just getting accustomed to that or what, but, um, it really got better, um, after those, you know, first month or two of the season. And I, I, I think the expectation is, you know, probably maybe number four chance to be number three starter. But then like, I don't know, we, we see these lefties who don't have like huge stuff and the expectation is, Oh, back end starter for him. Uh, and, and sometimes they just end up exceeding expectations. They end up becoming a, a number two starter, even if they're not, you know, out there blowing gas with their fastball, um, you know, cause he does have, it's not wipeout off-speed stuff, but it's just pretty good stuff across the board. Uh, we saw him throwing more strikes. Like I, I was surprised he didn't get an opportunity last yeah. year. Um, spent a lot of time in, in AAA, and I, I think the Brewers certainly have a need now for uh, help in their rotation. So uh, if you just want to factor in opportunity too, I, I think he's somebody's definitely going to get the chance, and the Brewers seem to be able to squeeze the most out of their – pitching prospects too if you're looking for um you know that angle too yeah squeeze the juice wheeze the juice i prefer squeeze it not wheeze it but that's just me i want to thank ben for coming on today this is ben badler baseball america he's a wealth of knowledge a pretty laid-back cool dude for what i could tell in addition <laughs> to being very knowledgeable so ben uh thanks for coming on here is there anything you want to promote on baseball america that's coming up uh, that is worth people being aware of no, I do. thanks guys for for having me on. Um, yeah, we have our obviously our top 100 and our top 30 prospects for every team in baseball up right now for PA subscribers. So I always appreciate everybody. How did 30 become the number? Awesome. By the way, did everybody agree? Like we'll just cut it off at 30. That's a good question. Um, <laughs> you know, we we started the handbook in 2001, predates my time there. I don't know. I'd have to like go back and ask either like Callis or Alan Simpson. Like, how did you figure out 30? But you know what, like when you put together a top 30, yeah, like there are times where it's like, oh, I'm leaving guys off who I still like. But usually you get to 30 and it's like, yeah, this is probably the right spot to <laughs> cut it off. Some organizations, it's like 20 and you're like, eh, like we're really stretching in the back of this right. uh, this system here. But uh, whoever, whoever, you know, whether it's Alan Simpson or, or Callis who came up with it back in the day. Uh, it, it does still feel like the, the right number. Yeah, it's a natural cutoff point. I love it. Well, actually, follow Ben on Twitter, Ben Badler, BaseballAmerica.com. Lots of good stuff everywhere. Benjamin Chase, Robbie Baseball, one. Big Gentle Ben on Twitter. I'm at MJ Govier. Plato Podcast, two L's. Utah. Two Z's. Give me two. Thanks, for everybody, in the live chat. You contributed. We had a very consistent and healthy audience today who participated. Love the questions. For Ben, Benjamin, and Robbie, I'm Michael Govier. And don't forget... If you're watching now, come back tonight at 7 o'clock. Eric Bergland from the Baltimore Orioles will be here live. Ben, Mike Virginia, and Eric. Nobody knows more about the Orioles than Eric Bergland does. He's on the ground there every year, all the time. Don't miss that one tonight live at 7 p.m. on this very YouTube channel and all the other destinations. Thank you. Make a person trade everything for a king. Sometimes, but it might just save your life. That's the power of prospects. That's the power of prospects. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.